The following program is a production of the Barroom Network. It is intended for all audiences. Doug Buffoon. This defense sucks. This is moronic. John Buffoon. Your best run plays are coming off end arounds. There's a problem. Doug was behind the microphone first. He never held back. Very difficult to score when your offense is on the bench. When your defense is out there giving up 70, 80, 70, 64 yard drives. Now, it's his nephew, John, and there's no holding this buffoon back either. The biggest thing that affected Justin Fields was a coaching change, and now he has an offensive coordinator, and he actually will fit a scheme to the quarterback, something we have not seen in a long time. I've had it! I have had it! I want somebody to get kicked in the ass! When I see Twitter polls and national media and fans weighing in on who is going to have the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft, and I see people commenting, Chicago, and it's not even close, then yeah, you know what? I'm going to get a little defensive. I got my ass whipped many times, but I tell you, I took somebody down with me. I don't think the Bears are a two to three win team. So to answer your question, no. The Bears aren't going to be the worst team in the NFL. It's Buffone 55, the John Buffone Show. Welcome to another edition of Buffone 55, a fast-paced approach and breaking down those Chicago Bears. I'm John Buffone, and with me as always is my co-host and producer, Alyssa Barbieri. Alyssa, the Bears are 1-0. It wasn't pretty. It was rainy. But it's a win. The worst team in the league is undefeated at this point. How you doing? I'm doing good. I can't believe... Did you say undefeated? undefeated. <laughs> That's a word that... We have not used that word. I know. Undefeated. I mean, that probably won't last long. I mean, we have the Packers coming up, but, you know, that's me being my pessimistic self. But, hey, the Bears got a win in the rain, and that was fun. It was actually fun to watch the Bears win. It was because, you know what, they – not to to get too deep into it already, but that you know what, they made adjustments at halftime. I'll leave it at that. Something that we're maybe not used to in Chicago. The brand new era. Brand new era. a brand new era. But – one of those nice, but they have a tall order going into week two. They're back on prime time. They're lined up against the Packers. We got a great guest lined up tonight to help us break down that matchup. But just in case, on the small chance that this is the first time you've ever listened or watched Buffone 55, Alyssa, can you give these folks a rundown of how Buffone 55 works? Absolutely. So Buffone 55 has three segments, and we always begin with our guests. And this week, we'll talk to Zach Jacobson, the Packers beat writer for CBS Sports, to help us break down this big rivalry matchup on Sunday night. That's then followed by our B55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions, and his responses must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffon, his uncle, his mentor, and a man who played 15 seasons for the Bears and wore number 55. We then finish things up with a free-for-all that we call the phone's basement, where Aldo Gandia joins John and me, and the three of us chug on some Bears talk and go over a whole bunch of topics, basically recapping a win, which is going to be brand new for us. So, John, take it away. You're right. Thank you, Alyssa. Like you said, our guest tonight is the Packers beat writer for CBS Sports. We now welcome Zach Jacobson to Buffon 55. Zach, how you doing? Appreciate you being on. 
No, I'm I'm doing well. I really appreciate you guys uh, having me on. I think this is this is my first time. Uh, well, hey, it's your maiden voyage on Buffone 55. We'll be easy <laughs> on you. But I do want to jump right into this because Bears and Packers talk, no matter what side you're on, we love talking about it. But I do want to start with uh, something that may may be a trend, may not be a trend. The Packers are coming off a brutal season-opening loss to the Vikings, but the same thing happened last season when Green Bay got blown out by the Saints before they went on a little bit of a winning streak. Uh, are these parallel situations, or are Packers fans a little more hesitant whenever they see that first game in 2022? I think you can kind of... Okay, both things can be true. Last year, yeah, they got they got smacked around. Uh, that was a little bit of, of an anomaly of, of a game because, you know, they're playing in Florida, they're playing the Saints. You know, everything kind of just changed last second and they got relocated. So, you know, that was a little different. But they had the safety net of Devontae Adams to fall back on. You know, they had that familiarity on offense. They had their offensive line kind of in place. And right now, I mean, they went on the road. They played a really, really good football team in the Vikings. Like, th- that is the one team – no offense to the Bears, of course, but that is like the one team in the division that could like legitimately give them like serious problems. And they did last year. They went into Minnesota and, and, and lost. So, you know, I think right now fans are a little more worried. They're a little more concerned just because, you know, David Bakhtiari still isn't back. Elton Jenkins still isn't back. And you have this this cast of unfamiliar faces at wide receiver and Aaron Rodgers is struggling to get on the same page with them, at least so far. So, yeah, right now I think fans are a little more like, you know, last year they kind of had the sense it was just the one clunker. It was just a very, very odd game. But right now, like they went on the road, they cannot compete with the Vikings. Like they got wiped across that floor, across that turf. So, uh, yeah, I think they're a little more concerned with with this year's loss in particular. You know, and something that was a little, you know, unfamiliar was Aaron Rodgers having a performance that you know he's not really used to having. You know, he was held without a touchdown and he really struggled against the Vikings. And I was wondering, what do you think was his biggest issue? And obviously, do you think we can expect a bounce back performance against the team that he owns, the Bears? <laughs> um, the biggest issue for me, based on what I watched, the, 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 re- the rewatch, the coaches film, everything, he held the ball a lot. Like he held the ball for a very long time. And I can't necessarily blame him because, again, he has a lot of you know foreign faces at receiver. The offensive line in front of him was very, very shaky in pass protection. They looked pretty good in the running game, but pass protection, I mean, he Aaron Rodgers was he was a little rattled as the game went on. You know, he he was holding the ball, he was kind of dancing around in the pocket. He couldn't he he shuffled through his reads, he went through his progressions, but I mean, the guys were open and he did not see them. It was some of the same stuff that we saw against the 49ers back in January, where he just kind of he fixated on one particular guy. And he wasn't patient enough to kind of wait for some of the other things to open up across the field. There were multiple plays where Christian Watson, the rookie, his his first first career snaps, he didn't play in the preseason. He was getting open a ton with ease throughout the game. Same with Romeo Dobbs. You know, if he is patient in that pocket, then he's going to see some of these guys coming wide open. And the thing is, in this offense, everything stems from how well the offensive line plays. So if things kind of break down up front, everything is going to follow suit. Everything is just going to collapse. And we that was what we kind of saw in Minnesota. Uh, one part of that offense that you think is going to be paramount to their success would be the run game. Now, they didn't lean as much on it in week one. Now, that could be because of game script and what and because they were trailing. But can Bears fans expect a much bigger dose of A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones going into week two as Green Bay probably wants to set the tone early? 
I would say so, yes. Um, and I'm not a fantasy expert, so anybody that's watching right now and they want to know whether whether to go with Aaron Jones or A.J. Dillon in their lineups, go at your own risk. Because <laughs> we hear this from Matt LaFleur a lot, where he says, like, oh, anytime you come out of the game with so-and-so having this many amount of touches, you know, that's not good enough. And he said that about Aaron Jones, who only had eight touches. He ran the ball five times and had three catches. So, you know, anytime he says that, you would assume the following game, like, yeah, they're going to incorporate those two guys in the game plan to a better extent. I would, I would think that it's a little different this time because, I mean, those guys are two pretty paramount pieces in the passing game right now with no Devontae Adams. So you you have to think, at least fans are hoping, that he means that. Like, those two guys are going to be the focal point of this offense against the Bears. Like, they're going to establish the ground game. And again, like I, like I just said, everything starts up front, the offensive line. If they can protect well, if they can kind of help springboard this running game a little bit, then yeah, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon could have big days. You know, and like you mentioned, you know, the Packers are finding out that life after Devontae Adams, is it's not easy. Uh, and we saw in the season over that Rodgers looked really frustrated at times. And like you said, there's just like a disconnect there with his receivers. And I was wondering, like, how long do you think that that could take for them to kind of work out? Do you think it's a cause for concern right now? And do you think the Bears could take advantage? It's definitely something the Bears can take advantage of because, yeah, those guys are just not on the same page right now. And you can only emulate the game so much in practice you know Aaron Rodgers he sounded like he was at peace you know with the fact that the drops are going to happen you know the mistakes are going to happen here and there he just can't have the mental errors the mental errors is what is going to really kind of expedite their downfall a little bit you know so it's these guys are going to have their opportunities they're going to get their targets I mean like like I mentioned about Watson he played the second most snaps uh, on Sunday of their wide receivers. It was Sammy Watkins at 41. Christian Watson was 40. And again, he had knee surgery in June. He didn't play at all. Didn't practice in training camp. Didn't play at all in the preseason. And very first, very first play of the game, he's targeted on what would have been a 75 yard touchdown. So yeah, they, they're going to get their opportunities. Just, you know, he's learning to live with the mistakes and the fact that they're going to happen. They're inevitable. So as the season goes along, like, yeah, he, he has stress, you know, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while to get on the same page with them, but there's also a sense of urgency. And you keep hearing that word with Rodgers and Matt LaFleur, urgency. Like they are pushing these guys to be good right out of the gate. And in order for that to happen, you have to go back to them. You know, when they drop passes, you have to go right back to them, keep their confidence afloat, keep them part of the game plan and just continue just helping build them up because yeah, the mistakes are going to happen, but you need to, you need to get these guys in the fire. So they learn from those mistakes. You know, one guy that seemingly had Rogers' confidence is tight end Robert Tunyon, who's returning from that torn ACL. Uh, just from your analysis, is he kind of back to where he was going into uh, and last year before the injury, or is there is he still knocking some of that rust off? I bet there's definitely a little bit of a little bit of rust still. I mean, he had a nice he had a nice play on, on, a, on a crosser against the Vikings, but you know, other than that, he was pretty much a non-factor. I think it's going to be some time, you know before he really kind of gets back to his former self and he's back to being like that red zone threat that we've seen. Obviously we know how the Packers handle these, these ACL injuries and guys coming back, you know, David Bakhtiar was a little bit of a unique, unfortunate situation, but uh, you know, I think they're going to slowly kind of acclimate him in. I mean, it feels like he was on a little bit of a pitch count in Minnesota. I mean, he only played, I think it was 22 snaps. Um, So yeah, it's going to be some time before he's really like an impactful part of the offense again, or, 
maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I, I'm not no doctor, you know, I just play one on TV. So maybe <laughs> as soon as this week, you know, he could be back to his former self. You know, you never know. You know, Zach, you mentioned, obviously, the Packers are struggling with injuries on the offensive line, and it looks like they could be without both their starting tackles again in Bakhtiari and, and Jenkins. So just how big of an impact is that going to be if they can't suit up? And who are the guys that need to step up if they can't go? It is going – I mean, it's going to be pretty significant because, you know, we talk – well, me personally, I was just talking nonstop about the offensive line and how how crucial it is. You know, and that's something that the Bears could definitely exploit, you know, with their pass rush and that that uh that defensive end, Dominique Robertson, who had, had a really, really nice game. I mean, that's someone that can cause problems, major problems, and just completely blow things up before they even before the Packers even get off the ground. So, you know, they need it, it really depends on the combination they're gonna roll with because I feel like right now, if they let's assume that Bakhtiari and Jenkins are out. Yash Nyman is your left tackle. John Runyon, assuming he comes out of concussion protocol, is going to be your left guard. If not, it'll probably be um, Zach Tom, the fourth-round rookie who replaced Runyon against the Vikings. He he had a really, really strong preseason. They're kind of expecting big things from him. Josh Myers is your center, and they are probably going to start Jake Hansen at right guard again, even though he he gave up the most pressures on the team uh, for. So they need him. I mean, if, if he plays, he's going to be the guy that needs to step up and have a much better performance because he was like, he was the one that the Vikings were exposing. He was a big part of the reason why the offensive line kind of, kind of fell apart. You know, he's this uh, sixth round pick from 2020. He's now in his third season. He has coming into this year, he had one career snap to his name. So, you know, they see something in him and Matt LaFleur said that he, he thought Hanson was one of the, their five best, best offensive linemen coming out of training camp. So they obviously believe in him. And they're probably going to give him another opportunity to prove himself. And if that falls apart, then I don't know what you do at that point. They need they need their two tackles back. Uh, and at right tackle is going to be Royce Newman, who started every game last year at right guard. So it's a very, very underwhelming group right now that has major holes. Uh, they need to be able to protect Aaron Rodgers, because especially in this offense, some of these longer developing plays, he needs to be able to sit back there and buy time and find some of these guys coming open. Because the plays are there. They left a lot of plays on the field on Sunday. And that is, that is going to be like the X factor for me for this offense. We love when other teams take notice of Dominique Robinson, the fifth round rookie, putting his stamp on the game and already making some noise in the league. I do want to go to a user question we have in the chat room. Uh, I believe it is from uh, Jordan. He says, I'd love to know. If Zach has the same concern I've seen from Aaron for what feels to be the last two years, feels like Aaron lacks a killer instinct now, prefers to check it down as opposed to taking high-risk throws. Have you seen that, or is that maybe just a narrative that's built around him? No, I I personally haven't seen that. And I know it's like, oh, the Packers guy, of course he hasn't seen that. But no, I really I, – I, I I've seen him take a lot of high-percentage throws, just a lot of things down the field – fitting the ball into tight spaces. It's a lot harder to do now because, I mean, he doesn't have that rapport that he had with Devontae Adams or even Marquez Valdez-Scantling. And Alan Lazard wasn't there on Sunday. That's another guy who he really trusts. So, you know, I haven't seen him necessarily kind of hold back from taking those those downfield shots. But the, the whole thing with Matt LaFleur's offense is, like, you you want him to take those checkdowns. You want him to find that outlet underneath where he can get the ball out. I mean, that was, that was one of the biggest things that – it seemed like he was struggling to buy into those first couple of years. He he was always looking for the big play. That was the problem like with, with his game. 
he was very reluctant to take the check down and look for some of the underneath stuff. Now, you know, 2020 and 2021, he started, he began to do it a lot more and he found his outlets underneath Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon had, had a lot of catches, you know, this offense is designed to get the ball out of his hands quickly and to extend his career, prevent him from taking as many hits, you know, kind of transform him into a, into a pocket passer. So yeah, he's definitely, he's right about one thing. Like he is taking a lot more checkdowns than normal. Now against the Vikings, that was also the case, but that was kind of like a, that was like a forced, like, okay, the pocket's collapsing. No one's open downfield. I I can't, you know, I can't sit here and wait. I just got to get rid of the ball. You know, there's one play in particular where he swung it left to the flat to AJ Dillon. He just got blown up and it was an incompletion. So, you know, it's different. You know, the checkdowns when they're there, he takes them, you know, when the outlets are there, but he needs to be smart with which ones he takes. So yeah, the checkdowns are are a big part of his game now, but he's also taking calculated risks down the field as well. Let's switch sides of the ball real quick because the Bears run game struggled to get much of anything going against the 49ers. But I I assume and a lot of Bears fans assume that they're going to try to reestablish that again in week two against the Packers. Uh, what What is the Packers run defense looking like and will the Bears have opportunities to establish a run game and get something going with David Montgomery or uh, Khalil Herbert? Yeah, see, that's gonna that's gonna be dependent on the health of Quay Walker because he's like their he's like their thumper right now, the, the the rookie out of Georgia. He's their thumper right now on defense that is making a pretty big impact, uh, you know, combating the opposing rushing attack. I mean, Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, they both had productive days, but it's hard to use week one as like a measuring stick for like, you know, for like the long term of the season. Like, you know, this is how good they're gonna be, this is how bad they're gonna be. It's tough to say, but you know, I definitely think if Quay Walker is going to sit out of this game with a shoulder injury, which it's beginning to look like he might not, he was a full participant uh, participant in practice today. So if he is out, then yeah, there's going to be opportunities there for the Bears to, to really attack this defense. And, you know, this is a defensive line that's kind of still learning how to play uh, with each other a little bit. I mean, Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry, the only like actual like, you know, familiar pieces there they added jerron reed in the offseason they drafted Devonte wyatt in the first round with, with the, the the second of those two first round picks so you know they're still kind of learning how to play with each other and it's 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 just it's a group that is predicated on being able to communicate with each other you know so it's it's a lot like the offensive line in the sense where you know you have a similar combo out there you have guys that have played with each other and they have that continuity with each other you know, that usually leads to a successful offensive line. The same thing could be said for the defense. So that front is still learning how to play play together as a unit. So if the Bears are looking for a week to kind of get the ground game going, then this could be it. Okay, so let's talk about the secondary. Uh, Vikings receiver Justin Jefferson really gave the Packers hell last week, especially in the first half when he had 158 yards and a couple touchdowns. I was wondering, what do you think was to blame for the secondary's breakdown and would you say that this group is the weakness of the defense that perhaps the Bears can target? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing to me as the defensive line and the offensive line. It's the communication. You know, there's really no excuse because, I mean, yeah, this this trio of cornerbacks, Russell Douglas, Jair Alexander, and Eric Stokes, they have very limited experience together on the field together at the same time. I mean, they were, they were only out there together against the 49ers, and Jair Alexander only played, I think, eight snaps. So – that's also kind of like a big area that needs work as far as like, 
you know, forming that cohesion together, getting those snaps together. Because, you know, when you're relaying calls to each other and you're you're communicating who has what on the back end, I mean, that's that 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 whole thing, that whole secondary is about communication. So, you know, it's it's inexcusable, really, just because this group was projected to be one of the best in football. And it it's troubling because it didn't seem like they kind of adjusted to what Justin Jefferson was doing to them. And I know Matt, Matt LaFleur seemed like he was hellbent about the fact that, oh, you can't just, you can't go from a zone defense and change to man in the middle of a game because then you would have to commit to man, you know, and you'd have to completely change the structure of your defense. I'm not, a, I'm not, you know, a defensive coordinator, so I can't really attest to that, but I, I feel like that's, that's a, um, a load of shit, uh, but that's just me. But yeah. And you look at the safeties too. I mean, Adrian Amos, he's a captain of your defense. He's supposed to be kind of that reinforcement in the back end. Darnell Savage kind of does everything. He plays in the box. He plays in the slot and he plays free safety, but you know, just the things Justin Jefferson was doing to them. I mean, it didn't, they did not have an answer for it. No matter what he was constantly getting open with ease. And the Vikings did an incredible job of just putting him in position to make those plays. They were using a lot of pre-snap motion, just a lot of alignments that got him matched up. You know, for example, he was matched up with Devondre Campbell. He was matched up with, God forbid, Preston Smith at one point. You know, he was all over the field, and the, and the Vikings did a remarkable job of exploiting those matchups. So, yeah, they just that group needs to be so much better. Otherwise, Darnell Mooney is going to have the game of his life. Uh, let's. I want to talk about the Bears offensive line because as Bears fans know, it's a work in progress. Uh, they had a so-so per- performance last week. Uh, Justin Fields still had to escape the pocket, sometimes a little earlier than you'd like to see. But uh, what is this Packers pass rush going to bring to the game? And can we expect a lot of pressure on Justin Fields going into Sunday night? See, this is, a, this is kind of a, a good opportunity for the Packers because, you know, Justin Fields, he he's an elusive quarterback. He will scramble, he will run, he will do everything he can to escape. Uh, it's a good chance for them to kind of get. It's it's like a litmus a litmus test. You know, they're going to face some other um, elusive quarterbacks throughout the rest of the season. So this is a kind of a good opportunity for them to get their feet back under them. Their pass rush wasn't necessarily bad against the Vikings. You know, like Rashawn Gary, he had pressures. Preston Smith was getting home. Kenny Clark was getting home. It's just the secondary was just not able to hang with Justin Jefferson. So Kirk Cousins did a, an, an incredible job of finding those plays downfield and just hanging tough in the pocket. Um, but this pass rush could give Justin Fields problems. I, I, I will say that, you know, they have, and the way Joe Barry is kind of mixing things up. I mean, he had, he was rolling out four, three personnel packages. He had, he had Devondre Campbell and Quay, uh, Quay Walker on the edges and Chris Barnes, the third middle linebacker in, inside at middle linebacker. So, you know, he's doing a lot of interesting things to kind of really just mix up the pressure and, and you know, bring different bring different alignments. So it could be something that, you know, maybe Justin Fields hasn't seen yet. And Joe Barry, a, a, a you know, a veteran, a savvy veteran of a defensive coordinator, he throws it at him, you know. So it's it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they handle an elusive quarterback, you know, because this is – uh, again, this defense was projected to be one of the best. And if they are going to establish themselves as that, then they need to take advantage of the matchups that favor them, like like, like this one. I think Justin Fields has a good day. I think, you know, going into Lambeau obviously is not easy. I think he has a good day. I think he he's going to be able to kind of like maneuver his way around this pass rush, but they need to get home. That's, that is going to be like the, the, the big important piece of how well their secondary plays as well. I mean, those things, those two things work kind of in tandem with each other. You know, if your pass rush gets home, then it's going to make the job on the back end that much easier. I know 
that didn't necessarily happen against the Vikings, but um, I, that, you know, that's always the recipe for, for, for victory. And we always get a kick out of talking about the opponent's special teams. So I was wondering if you could give oh. us a quick profile of the Packers special teams. Is it still an area of concern as it was last year? Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's an area of concern. It's all proven otherwise. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is the worst phase of this football team right now. I mean, they, they were, they were, decent against the vikings and by decent i mean they didn't make any crazy mistakes they were like average <laughs> so anytime the special teams isn't making headlines for being bad i will take that as a victory for the packers but you know rich Prasache came and brought a whole new culture just a whole new philosophy in and you know we're only one game into the season so still um still a lot a lot left ahead but so far so good <laughs> i yeah that that is a bad bad unit before I ask you for your prediction on the game, I do want to go to one more user question. This one goes by Renewable Rechargeable Review. How much is Green Bay missing Getze, if at all? And and kind of a follow-up to that, I mean, they lost two offensive coaches there. So is, mm-hmm. is there going to be how much of a drop-off, if any? Who's stepping up? And uh, are, are there any, you know, uh, scheme changes with, with the new coaches in there? I haven't personally seen any uh, changes as far as the scheme. Um, they still kind of operate with a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, pe- formations that kind of look the same, that illusion of complexity that Matt LaFleur always talks about, you know, where they run different things out of certain personnel packages. You know, nothing has changed as far as that goes. I think as far as LaFleur is there, it's going to kind of remain intact. Um, Adam Senevich as the offensive coordinator, obviously not a promising debut. You know, right now it looks like they're missing Luke Getzey and they're missing Nathaniel Hackett. Um, and, and whatever the hell he was doing at the end of that game Monday night is a totally different story. But um, yeah, they're they're definitely missing them right now, and it's gonna be it's gonna be an adjustment. There's gonna be an acclimation period of you know getting used to some of these you know some of these new faces in the offense, and you know Tom Clements is is gonna have his you know leave his mark. He's the quarterbacks coach, but he's gonna have a hand in how this offense operates as well, and you know how Aaron Rodgers plays within this offense. So. Yeah, right now it looks like they're missing them, you know, pretty badly. I mean, you've had that that kind of, I don't want to say a safety blanket, but you've had that, you know, those familiar faces, you know, kind of spearheading this offense for 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 a couple of years now and, you know, it led to it led to career years for Aaron Rodgers, back-to-back MVPs. Now it's a matter of okay, you don't have them here anymore. You are the highest paid quarterback in football. I don't know if he is anymore. These contracts change so so drastically. But you are you we made you the highest paid quarterback in football and you are the back-to-back MVP and you are one of the best throwers of the football ever. So go out there and win with what we have. You know, you need to make the people around you better, regardless of who who the assistant coaches are, regardless of who your quarterback's coach is. Um yeah, they just they got they gotta figure out how to weather the storm without hacking and getsy. It helps that he has Clements. That's a guy who was kind of a very influential part of Rogers early years and, you know, his development, but still it's going to be an adjustment period. I, I lied. We do have one more user question before we get you out of here. Another one from Jordan. It says, Zach, are they still planning on alternating the three cornerbacks at nickel or possibly solidifying one cornerback at the nickel spot? That would be, that'd go a long way in knowing what, what the matchups are going to be against the wide receivers uh, in Chicago, or is that still kind of up in the air? No, I think they'll, I think they're going to continue. I mean, we heard it all off season about like, oh, all these guys are going to be cross trained inside and outside and this and that. I mean, we heard it from Joe, uh, um, Joe Witt. No, not Joe Bitt. Jesus Christ, I'm like a few years in the past. Um, we heard it from Jerry Gray. Excuse me. 
Um, we heard from Jerry Gray. We heard it from Joe Barry. These guys are going to be tra- cross-trained everywhere. I mean, I was not expecting Rasul Douglas to be, you know, predominantly their their nickel corner. You know, he he had a great year on the boundary in in the 12 games he played for the Packers. And, you know, he has kind of the body for it. He has the body to play play the outside, play on the boundary. I thought they would keep him there. And Jair Alexander, he had the experience at Louisville in, in, inside in the slot. So I figured, you know, he would be the number one kind of candidate for that position. But, you know, they're, they're mixing everything up back there. They're throwing a lot of moving parts in. And, you know, it's going to be something to watch week to week. I think Eric Stokes is the one guy that will remain exclusively on on the boundary he's not going to move inside anytime soon he just he doesn't have the skill set or kind of like the the frame for it but uh yeah they're they're going to continue mixing that up it's going to be between Jair alexander Russell douglas and occasionally every now and then it'll be darnell savage as well all right before we get you out of here we it's prediction time the packers are currently 10 point favorites and Alyssa and i'll get into that a little bit later in the show but uh what is your prediction for this sunday night matchup it's in green bay we we're real about this, so you don't you don't have to pander to us. You can give us the real real <laughs> prediction here. I was on a Bears show last night, and I predicted twenty seven to seventeen. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna assume you know. I'm gonna assume they get out by double digits, and I don't think I don't view this the same way everybody else is. They're looking at it as some kind of tune up game for the Packers, a get right game for the Packers, and. I don't, I don't believe in that with the way they played last week and, you know, the way the bears played last week in, in that environment, in those conditions, uh, these division games can always go either way. You know, the pass gets thrown out the window, regardless of, you know, what was it? They, the Packers have won 20 of the last 23 regular season games against the bears like that. That doesn't matter. It, it does not matter. This is a new season. Both of these teams are just completely redesigned. Uh, and the, in the, in the, in the bears instance, there's new management. It's a new regime. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a tough one. It's not going to be this, this you know, great game for Aaron Rodgers where he goes out, he's all pissed off at the world, and he throws four touchdowns. I don't I don't believe that. It's going to be a really close game. All right. I mean, that, that's that's about as fair as we can ask you to be on that. You have him covering the 10-point spread. We'll see if that line gets a little bit closer as we get uh, nearer to game time. But before you go, let our uh, viewers and listeners know how they can inter- interact with you on social media, where they can read your stuff, listen to your stuff, all that stuff. Because Bears fans, they uh, and it seems like there's a weird dynamic between Bears fans and Packers fans, where they kind of just consume each other's <laughs> content sometimes. Where Bears fans talk about the Packers, Packers talk about the Bears a lot. There's a lot of cross-consuming of content there. So please let us know how uh, how we can see your stuff. Yeah, it's <laughs> Bears Twitter and Packers Twitter just do not like each other but they always say like oh rent free rent free but everybody both fan bases always end up in each other's mentions so it's funny how that works um you can find me on twitter at it's zachary j uh and you can find my work at 24 7 sports uh well packer report for 27 24 7 sports jesus christ i cannot talk today i'm sorry it's all right it's just a podcast <laughs> no, no, <laughs> don't, have to, don't have to require talking right true <laughs> Well, Zach, hey, we really appreciate you coming on, breaking down this Packers uh, game with the Bears. I feel like we know a lot more about the Packers than we did before we started the show. So we do appreciate that. And hopefully we can talk to you down the line. That that was the goal. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate you guys for having me on. And this was very fun. I hope I hope you guys want to do it again sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to do that. So thanks so much for being on. And we'll be back with more Buffon 55 right after this. I don't know why people don't talk about this more is Oracle Park um, in San Francisco. Like, that's just such a neat 
field, like, you know, just the, the whole aspect of it. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of breathtaking growing up in St. Louis, you know, you, it's basically them, them and the Cardinals, um, for what, five years, uh, from like 2010 to 2015 or whatever it was, um, you know, it was just back and forth. So, you know, I, I you see that, that park growing up in the postseason all the time. And I walk in, it's like, holy cow, man, like this is, this is sweet. And like the atmosphere, the fans are unbelievable there. Um, so I was, I was fortunate enough to, you know, go to an NL park, um, you know, out West, which, which not many guys get to do in their, their first, first season. Catch this episode of South Burbs Hitman On Demand wherever you get podcasts or head over to YouTube and watch the video stream and make sure you subscribe so that way you don't miss out on any of the Barroom Network's live programming. Welcome back to Buffone 55. Now it's time for our B55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions and his responses must be completed within 55 seconds. The 55 is John's tribute to the great Doug Buffon, his uncle who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. So John, I know we're still kind of early on in our season week two. You ready for this? Oh yeah, I got. I had a tune-up game last week. I'm ready to jump right into it. And I'll say that in my response will probably be like three minutes, but you know what? We'll, we'll give it our best <laughs> shot. Well, here we go. So, John, most thought that we'd be heading into Packers week with the Bears being 0-1. However, they rose to the occasion, and they are now the team headed into this game undefeated. There's that word again. Very, very weird to say. Use it as much as you can. <laughs> exactly. So, and now the Packers are coming into this game at 0-1, winless. Another weird thing to say. So, I'm curious. What was your biggest takeaway from the Bears' week one victory? 55 seconds are on the clock. Well, I guess my biggest takeaway is that this version of the Chicago Bears is going to be different from the one we've seen for the past two to three years. The thing that sticks out the most to me is that this was a game that the Bears likely lose under the old regime. In years past, if things weren't working at halftime, you can bet they're going to stay bad or even get worse in the second half because there were never any adjustments made. Last Sunday, we saw a team come out in the second half and get better. We saw some slight adjustments with the quarterback, and we saw a team that is capable of erasing a double-digit lead and coming back to win a game they weren't supposed to win. So the culture change, it's real. We saw guys swarming to the ball. We saw guys relentlessly trying to punch the ball out. We saw guys sticking up for the quarterback when he took a late hit. And we're seeing the groundwork for the type of franchise that Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus are trying to build in Chicago. Overall, we saw somebody setting the tone. Yeah, this really felt like a new era of Bears football because like you said, it just felt like the antithesis of a Matt Nagy. And I know we're still talking about Matt Nagy, but we're in the beginning of the season here. And the Bears just won. Like, they came yeah. back and, like you said, made halftime adjustments, which is something that Matt Nagy would never know how to do. Yeah. And it was really impressive. And I know that, you know, we've made fun of, like, the HITS principle. And people kind of have, you know, it's been like, oh, it's looking at an acronym. But it worked. It's the reason that they won this game. Mm -hmm. They played that smart, disciplined football. They committed less penalties than the 49ers. They won the turnover battle. They played hard. They kept fighting until the end. And that's something that we just didn't see last year or during the Nagy era when things got tough, right? And you saw that mm -hmm. from Justin Fields. We saw that from the entire team. And in those kind of conditions, which was really impressive. Yeah, they're, they're a scrappy team. And they're going to be 
they're going to be a spread buster for the rest of the year. Whenever they're down, when they're the spread is like three, four, five, six points, they're gonna they're gonna be the ones that's going to be they're going to cover a lot. <laughs> I just have, I just have this feeling. Yeah, and you know who knows how many games they're going to win this year. I don't think we're expecting them to be contenders. Maybe they'll surprise us, but I think I feel confident saying that I feel like they're going to be competitive and in most of these games, mm-hmm. even Packers games until until the end, which is something again that we weren't accustomed to seeing. Yep, and my uh, my MGM account is thanking me for taking Bears money line. Uh, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty <laughs> not that not that I'm bragging or anything because that's probably the only bet I'm going to win all year. But still, I'm pretty happy about. it. <laughs> okay, John. So let's hand out some game balls. It wasn't the prettiest win in the world, but I was wondering who shined for you in this win. You have 55 seconds. Well, I'm going to hand out three game balls, so I better talk fast. First and foremost, Justin Fields deserves a ton of credit and recognition. He had a bad first half, threw a bad pick, and the offense looks sunk. But he stayed composed and made big plays in less than ideal conditions, which is what you want from your leader. Next is Dominique Robinson, a a rookie fifth rounder, putting his name on a week one victory, one and a half sacks, seven tackles, which was second on the team, only behind Roquan Smith. So I'm excited to see how this young man develops. And finally, one more game ball, and I'm giving it to the coach, Matt Eberflus. Like I said before, he's changing the culture, and he is the adult in the room. He doesn't talk in circles, and he actually holds his players accountable. From the discipline of the team, which only committed three penalties, to the way he conducts himself in the post-game press conference, I like the team CEO mentality of Matt Eberflus so far. So three game balls, offense, defense, and coaching staff. Oh, sorry. And yeah, I definitely agree. They all three had, uh, I got, I gave game ball to all of them as well. And someone else that we haven't really talked about in three years, Eddie Jackson yeah, coming really. away with a fourth quarter interception to seal the game. Like I felt like we went back in time a little bit. It was nice. Cause you know, things were nice in 2018, but you know, Eddie Jackson really impressed me. And like you said, like with Matt Eberflus, this just feels like I keep saying like a new era and it was just nice. He's an, again, the adult in the room and, Justin Fields, you know, really impressed. The first half looked brutal. And there was a moment where I had to remind myself that this wasn't the Matt Nagy era. And I'm like, okay, maybe at halftime we'll make adjustments. And we saw them do that. So, you know, it was really impressive. And like you said, Dominique Robinson, what a debut. And like Zach was saying, you know, oh my goodness, if Bakhtiari and Jenkins are out, Mm -hmm. he's going to feast. And he could have another big game for the Bears. So really impressed by the rookie. I think that was, uh, I think I heard that that was Eddie Jackson's first interception on like official interception since 2019. Like it's been, 2019. It's, it's been that long since he had a, I think he had a, a few that were like called back for penalties or something, but first official interception since 2019. And you hope that's not the last one of it either. Well, let's hope that that's a trend and he turns back into that ball hawk that he was in the first couple of years of his career. Oh man, let's hope. Okay. So John, we have to do it. We're turning our attention to Sunday night's game right. against the Packers. So the Bears didn't abandon the run game against the 49ers, and it helped keep the defense honest. But when you look at the efficiency of the run game, Khalil Herbert averaged five yards per carry on his nine touches, while David Montgomery averaged just 1.5 yards on 17 carries. Do you see the dynamic of the running game changing this Sunday and beyond? you got 55 seconds. I don't think the dynamic is going to change, but I think they will adapt to the flow of the game. I said last year, the Bears have a real chance to have a running game like the Cleveland Browns do with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Both of those guys had a great week one, by the way. Uh, So this could just be a system where you go with the hot hand. Herbert was more efficient 
against the 49ers. Maybe his decisive running style was better suited in monsoon-like weather, uh, but there could be situations that are much better suited for David Montgomery to get the ball. So you maybe see a bit of the gap being closed as far as the carry differential goes, uh, and then you have the whole underlying narrative of whether or not David Montgomery is even going to be on this team in 2023. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's focus on the present. Uh Perhaps week one was just a test run to see who should be on the field in certain situations. I think both of these guys, both Herbert and Montgomery, are incredibly talented. I'm excited to see both of them in action when there isn't three inches of water on the field. Yeah, that's the thing that we have to keep in perspective for everything, whether we're talking about the the, the offense and the defense or the run game and the passing game. So, you know, like I said, I was a little surprised by Montgomery's lack of production and Really happy for Khalil Herbert, but, you know, I think we're going to get a good glimpse when they play the Packers, too, exactly how they use Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. And that's something I think we've been talking about a lot is what we can expect to see the Bears use. Like you said, go with the hot hand. That's why you have those two guys. You have Tristan Ebner, too. So, I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they use it. You know, Montgomery could have a big game this week, right? And Khalil Herbert could kind of be just kind of backing him up. So, I think it's a little too early to panic and start saying, oh, hey, just I've seen people say, hey, maybe Khalil should be the number one guy right maybe maybe he does earn that who knows but i think we're definitely going to see that share of carries still going i, I don't care i don't care who's one or who's two i'm just glad they have <laughs> no. them both i'd rather have them both than only one of them i'm just glad they're both on the bears exactly okay so heading into sunday the bears are on the road and there likely won't be another monsoon i mean that would be hysterical <laughs> if maybe. there was some some kind of weather thing yeah. happening but you know what are some of the things that you think john the bears absolutely must do better in order to keep up with Green Bay. The clock starts when you do. Well, listen, even though Green Bay got walloped by the Vikings, let's not pretend the Packers are going to be any easier to beat. The Bears were going up against a very young quarterback in a rainstorm on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers is a different animal across the board for a number of reasons. I'm not sure they can afford to have a really bad half against Green Bay. I think they need to come out and set the tone early. I don't think they get two quarters to figure this one out. Also, Going to need some more catches from the wide receivers and get something out of Cole Komet. Komet and Darnell Mooney are supposed to be your playmakers and your chain movers. Find a way to get them the ball. The Bears don't have a ton of playmakers, but they need to utilize the ones they have right from the get-go. And I'm not saying anything groundbreaking here, but a turnover or two would go a long way. And it would be nice to find a way to continue shaking up Aaron Rodgers' confidence in his young receivers. It seems like that relationship is already on thin ice, so maybe uh, the secondary can come up with a big play if there's a miscommunication with the wide receivers. I would love to see Aaron chirping at those rookie wide receivers or just angry on the sideline, just throwing him out of his rhythm. Yeah, I enjoyed that last Sunday, and I'm like, man, this is like the one time I'll root for the Vikings, and I'm like, imagine the Bears were able to do this, right? I mean, we saw a strong defensive performance that's going to be the test because, you know, it's always like, hey, you know, the Bears, like Zach said, have lost 20 of the last 23 games. But these are two completely different teams. The Bears are, different, the Bears are a different team than Rodgers has faced. You know, there are some familiar faces on there, but new scheme, a mostly revamped roster. I mean, I'm really interested to see how they tackle this, especially with Matt Eberflus. But, you know, something they do have to get better, like you said, is they need to get off to that fast start, you know. You know, not going, not scoring any points in the first half, you're going to lose that game when you're going against Aaron Rodgers. I don't care what your defense does, unless they hold him scoreless too. But again, I'm not going to sure. myself. But they really do need to get off to a fast start. And I think with that mon those monsoon-like conditions, it's really hard to evaluate, especially right. the offense, because you know we were we have high hopes for the offense. You know, with this new scheme, we saw even the glimpse in that final preseason game where they were running the same three to four plays as Darnell Mooney said. 
And I do want to see Darnell Mooney obviously get a little bit more involved. You know, he was, wasn't a big part of the game, you know, obviously the conditions and also Mooney Ward kind of really shutting him down. So, Hey, if the Packers secondary, again, like Zach said, can't get on board with each other, you know, maybe Mooney does have the, the game of his life, which I mean, that would be great. And I think sure. we'll be talking about a bears win if that happens. Listen, I said this as soon as the game was over. I feel so much better talking about what needs to be improved after a win than in the last two years where it's just like you're trying to find a positive out of this. What was one positive out of this embarrassing loss? What was one thing we can take out of this bad loss that we can build on? I'd much rather win ugly like that and say, okay, listen, we got to get Mooney more involved or Cole Komet's got to get the ball more. Coming off of a win. Very rarely have we had that opportunity in the last few years to say we're okay. We won ugly. We learned how to win ugly, but this is what we have to address. Usually it's like we got our asses kicked. Uh, <laughs> there was a couple, one or two plays that look kind of nice uh, that I'm, I'm past that. So if we can, if we can, if we can take positives off of a, off of an ugly win, let's win ugly rather than lose pretty, which the bears haven't even lost pretty. So let's just, let's just keep with, let's just keep what we're doing here know what we have to build on, but keep that level of success going. Yeah, if the Bears have to win ugly for every win, which I'm hoping is quite a, quite a lot, then I will take that any day of the week. Mm. So, you know, and this is one of those games where if they're going to win, I feel like it could be one of those games. So it'll, it'll be interesting. Fine by me. Okay, so John, we mentioned earlier the Bears and Packers are going to clash on Sunday Night Football. And as you said on numerous occasions, you hate when the Bears are on primetime, as do I. Has the 1-0 record shifted your stance at all? No clock on this one. Let's hear it. Oh, no, no. I, I still hate it for, for a number <laughs> of reasons. Let's just start with the fact that I'm on the East Coast and these games don't get done until about 1130 at night. And then I got to do a post-game show until about 1 a.m. So, no, I don't love that. Uh, I hate it even more because when the Bears lose, which has been the going rate the past few years, uh, not only do I lose sleep, I can't even say it was worth it because, well, they lost. So uh, that, yeah, I, I don't like the primetime lineup. Finally, the majority of my friends are Steelers and Eagles fans. So they don't pay much mind to the Chicago Bears unless they're on primetime. Then it's three hours of texts and messages in my group chats of just making fun of my team. Listen, I understand Chicago is a huge market and it's great ratings to have Bears Packers on TV. But gee whiz, I wish they'd just wait until the Bears were good before putting them in multiple primetime games. But maybe, just maybe, they will make it worth losing sleep this time around. A guy can dream, can he? <laughs> we'll be back with Buffon's Basement right after this. Ellis Hall, since I came here, has been expanded twice. Both times after we were gone, by the way. So <laughs> we never we never got it. But, I mean, it was tiny. Do, do you think that uh, Olin Krutz would politely ask you to leave the weight room because it was so crowded? <laughs> you, I told you what Olin I told you what Olin used to say to me. I know. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> no, and, and that was at 5 o'clock when there's, you know, there's no players around. Gabriel, <laughs> oh, get the f out of my weight room. <laughs> oh, and I go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I got a commercial. <laughs>
Welcome back to Buffone 55. It's time for that third segment we call Buffone's Basement, where we open the door, we walk down the stairs, and we see that old battle axe laying in the recliner with Tostito chips all over his face. Oh, no, Gondia, get in here. Yeah, wipe yourself off, get clean. We got to talk some bears. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Great show. Um, boy, the, these B-55 rants, I would love to find a production system who can piece them all together. We have like 55 hours of these B-55 rants. It would be a, a collection unlike any other. Fantastic stuff. I feel like I would need a drink for that because we <laughs> think of all the Bears football that have led to those rants. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You ain't kidding. Well, it's like those daily affirmation books that just have like a tiny paragraph that you read every day. If you just listen to a 55 segment every day, it's just like, okay, that's all I needed. I'm good to go today. Oh, We're good yeah. to go. <laughs> just talking oh. out loud. But, uh, you know, let, let's talk about the Bears a little bit. Although, since you just jumped on, what was your – Initial takeaway, since you've had a couple days to think about it, let's talk about, you know, you let it sit in a little bit. The Bears are one or no. You get whatever to look over the game. What do you think overall takeaway from that week one win? Well, my immediate takeaway was how well coached this team is because that was completely obvious, even, I think, to casual fans. And then over the last few days, I just began to appreciate more and more the performance by Justin Fields. I mean, to start off the, the third quarter, the 49ers start off and they take a they they march downfield, get three points, and they're leading 10 to nothing. And after that first half performance, you're thinking, holy cow, this is looking bad. And on that next possession, the Bears weren't doing very well until Justin Fields created. And he finds Dante Pettis wide open thanks to his uh, uh, thanks to Fields' athletic skills. And then in the very next possession, again, Fields just does a tremendous job reading the 49ers defense. And he had a couple of guys open on that touchdown pass to Equinemius St. Brown, but he made the right decision and throwing it to the to the guy who was closer to the goal line and open as opposed to the crossing guy, Brian Pringle, who may have got a touchdown himself, but he made the right decision. And then on that third possession, after that great Eddie Jackson uh, interception, he marches downfield only 20 yards and so forth, but it's three consecutive touchdowns. And Justin Fields had his signature over all three of them. And that's what I was impressed at because we keep talking about and and praying for and hoping for and wishing for a franchise quarterback. I think we saw a, a franchise quarterback coming out of his embryonic st state and uh, proclaiming and of course that the 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 emblematic image of him sliding and then getting up and doing that muscle. I think that was the birth of Justin Fields and maybe I'm just being a a Bears homer but I I love that story and I'm sticking with it and if we win against the Packers I'm going to continue to promote that. Listen, <laughs> you've had you've had a few days to look over this what what's your your takeaway? Yeah, exactly what Aldo said about the coaching and talking about that and Justin Fields that was exactly what I was thinking too is you know obviously all of us we haven't had a quarterback like this that can really just kind of take over the game. Like, I mean, he hasn't even, I mean, I guess we'll see him take over the game where we're hoping, but he's going to make the kind of plays out of nothing. Cause there was some, there was nothing at that point when he, when he made that play and that touchdown to Dante Pettis. So really impressed by that. And I really hope like Aldo said, that this is the beginning. It, it made me think, imagine what, what he's going to look like when you have that offensive line settled, when you have weapons around him and what he can do. And we could be talking about having, 
not just a franchise quarterback, but a star quarterback and one of the top quarterbacks in the league. That's the hope. And again, beating the Packers, like Haldo said, that is going to be a great way to get there. Yeah, and I was just going to say, and actually Tony Brown in the comments just beat me to it because I, I was going to make this exact point. Everyone's talking about, oh, they won because he was playing hero ball and he wasn't in a structured play and all this other stuff. I'm like, how many times, and, and Tony Brown says, guys, how many times has Rodgers done the exact same thing to us running around and finding Cobb or Adams to win the game? And I was going to say, we've seen Patrick Mahomes do this. We've seen Lamar Jackson do this. And all, when they do it, it's just like, look at these fantastic plays. But when Justin Fields does it, it's like, oh, he can't play within a structured offense. <laughs> so no, I, I think that's, you've got to have that hero mentality because w- without that, they don't score. They don't win without that. So absolutely, I think that was a great, as Aldo said, perhaps the birth of Justin Fields we saw uh, on Sunday. And I'm for the first time in quite some time, I'm excited for the Bears-Packers game because uh, I, I know that they're 10-point underdogs. Uh, I think that they're going to cover. I think that that – I think honestly, I think by the time we get to Sunday, that line might shrink. Uh, but I think that uh, – I think they have a real shot at this. And I'm not trying to invest too much in what I saw week one. It's one game in a monsoon. The Niners did not have George Kittle. Trey Lance was just getting, you know, trying to get his feet under him as a a full-time starter in San Francisco. But I liked what I saw. And I think if, and I, and I think what we saw was sustainable because they were being coached well three penalties as opposed to the 49ers who had, I'm, I'm not sure they, I, they had way more than that, but I know that they, they, the fact that they were able to stay disciplined in those conditions and not shoot themselves in the foot, which we have seen time and time again, we didn't see a delay a game coming out of a timeout. We didn't see a bad false start coming out of a timeout or any of that. The bears constantly do bad things coming out of a timeout. We don't see a bad play call on third and one, whenever they just need to go get the, go get the first down. So, I think what they have here is you can build on it and get better. I don't think it was a fluke. I think it was the foundation. So I think that what you can do is you can get better every single week. If your team is coached this well and you have young players who are hungry to get better, I think that they have a chance to keep blossoming and keep getting better. So I'm excited to watch this game just to see how they stack up. Now, are are they rightfully underdogs? Absolutely. But I'm excited to see what they can do when they have the kind of adversity put against them in Lambeau Field against uh, Aaron Rodgers. So with that being said, I talked about it in my my B55 rant, but uh, Aldo, I'll start with you. What has to happen for the Bears to be uh, competitive in this game? Because as I said, at least for my opinion, I don't think they can do the exact same thing and come out victorious this week. What needs to be better going into this week? Well, you know, I can give you a laundry list of stuff, and but but most of it just kind of falls under the category of football basics. You got to win the line of scrimmage. This Packers defensive line can p- pose some problems for the interior of the offensive line, in particular, when you've got a guy. Um, and now I've drawn a blank on his name, uh, Clark. The defensive tackle, he is such a force, and so hopefully whoever is matched up against him, Cody Whitehair, who is who is frankly isn't the same player he or isn't the player that I was hoping he would be, uh, uh, you know, which is an all pro caliber, pro bowl caliber offensive guard. He's just kind of average. And uh, we've got the rotating right guard or if Tevin Jenkins is, is, is in there and he's facing uh, Clark, uh, hopefully the young Tevin Jenkins can hold his own against Clark. So it's about winning the line of scrimmage, and it's about also not making mistakes. 
The other thing I'd like to point out is Luke Getze is going to be a big, big factor in this game. You know, he didn't have the uh, most promising start to his career that that first half. You know, there were a couple of shots of him in the sideline. I didn't know if those were raindrops under his eyes or teardrops because he was really having a tough go at it. But I'm I still have complete confidence in Luke Getze. And I think that one of the big things about him being in Chicago now is this matchup against the Green Bay Packers because he'll I think he'll have a pretty good idea of how to attack this this Packers defense and if the players execute his plan I think the Bears could come away with about three touchdowns again maybe four 28 points plus a field goal or two would be outstanding but that that's what I'm thinking is control the line of scrimmage and execute Getsy's plan. Listen, who, who, who needs to step up this week? Oh, man. I mean, this is, like you said, John, I think this is the first, like, Packer, Bears-Packers matchup where I don't feel completely hopeless, where I'm like, oh, shit, we have to watch this and then write <laughs> about it and talk about it. So, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a chance, obviously, with the Packers are coming off that uh, that loss. And, you know, talking to Zach, I thought it was more going to be more of an anomaly like last year. But it sounds like there's actual cause for concern. And again, you know, with Rodgers getting acclimated with those receivers and the changes on offense and and everything, but the Bears need to get off to a fast start, like I was talking about earlier. I mean, even that that first half against the San Francisco 49ers, that can't happen. Even if the Packers are struggling, you need to get off to a fast start, limit the mistakes. That's something that I think that we will see because of the coaches. And I think as for who should step up, I mean, the coaching staff is – Obviously, and that's that's what won them the game. That helped them win the game. And Justin Fields does need to step up too. You know, he talked about you know flipping the rivalry, right, and finally getting it back on the Bears side. And he has a real opportunity to start that on Sunday night. So, I mean, I'll be looking for a big game for Justin Fields, and you know, really want to see the coaches put him in a good position. I think that, like Aldo was mentioning, winning the line of scrimmage. I did my keys for the offense today, and that was my top one. You got you got to win that battle. I think this could be like a very low scoring defensive game. It really sounds like the offensive line for both teams is a weakness, especially if Bakhtiari and Jenkins are out on on the Packers side. So, I mean, we could see the defensive line, I think, really needs to step up. Justin Jones is someone I think really needs to step up. So, I mean, it'll be interesting, but I don't feel helpless, which I can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to win necessarily, but it's not one of those matchups where you're just automatically writing them off. So, I mean, it's encouraging, but we're definitely going to need to see these people step up. Alyssa, you mentioned it could be a low-scoring game, so I'm going to stick with you here. Any concerns about Cairo Santos, who missed two extra points? Now, granted, he was kicking in a swimming pool. Now, I, I mean, there, let's, let's, not, let's not forget that. Uh, but this is a guy that was basically automatic last year, one of the few bright spots on the team. Uh, even, even if it was because of the weather, we know – the kicking game is very much mental is very, is as much mental as it is physical. And he's coming off of uh two missed extra points here. So any concerns for Cairo Santos or is it just like, he's a professional. We understand the situation. We got flagged for putting a towel on the field. <laughs> what, so what, what do you, what do you think about the kicking game? Yeah, I'm not worried. It, it was the weather condition. I mean, granted Robbie gold did make the kicks when he needed to, but I mean, that's one of those things you can kind of chalk it up to the field conditions. And we know how Cairo Santos feels about Soldier Field in general. And then all of a sudden you have a monsoon coming down. So I'm really not too concerned. This guy made 40 consecutive kicks. That's not an accident. 
Uh, as terms of the mental game, I mean, I think that he understands that he's a professional, he's a veteran. He knows kind of just take it one game at a time. And he, I mean, he's going to have much better uh, kicking conditions than Lambeau. So maybe. really, really, not. Uh, maybe. I, hey, is it supposed to rain? Who does Possibly. anyone check the weather? Yeah, it could be. Hey, well, then maybe redemption game for Cairo Santos. Yeah. You know, he kicks a field goal in the pouring rain. There yeah. you go. There's your story. <laughs> any concern, Aldo? I don't have any concerns yeah. about Cairo Santos. You know, all kickers have that bad game. You know, I, I think that if it happens again soon, uh, then you bring in some kickers and and, uh, and perhaps, you know, threaten them. Hey, we're going to look at some kickers. You haven't lost your job, but just in case. And sometimes that motivates a player to do better. Um, he feels very safe. They didn't have, if I recall correctly, they didn't have a field goal kicker in camp. It was his job and only his job. And so if, if it gets to the point where he has another poor game, either Sunday night or in the near future, then you bring some guys in. But I, I still, as Alyssa said, you know, the guy was, was a monster last season. He was so consistent. Uh, and given the conditions of this past Sunday, it, it was somewhat excusable. Um, and the whole penalty with the towel thing is just a uh, ridiculous. So I think that might have uh, lent, you know, to his his mindset of of not uh, playing well. And just for some context, I think there's no kickers in camp because they did sign him to an extension last year. So he has a three year contract. So if you if you're going to even consider, I'm getting way ahead, and I have full I have full confidence in Cairo Santos. I'm just speaking for context. They they can't really they could cut him, but they're going to do the same thing that happened with Cody Parkey, where they have to pay him a bunch of money to cut him. So uh, mm-hmm. I think they're going to give Cairo Santos every chance to succeed here, and I think he will. I, I'm 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 not I'm not as concerned because he was kicking in a bucket of water basically it was it's it's very very difficult to uh to to kick in those conditions and it didn't come back to bite them so they ended up winning uh they they did they left five points on the board or whatever but they still they won the game move on i think that he's gonna be uh just fine Uh, i do want to talk because i hate primetime games hate them Oh, do you like them? Because I know your bedtime's like seven o'clock. So are are you able are you able to stay up that late? Seven a.m. is my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> I do love them, but it's indisputable that the Bears almost always uh, fail us on uh, on Monday night. I mean, I'm old enough to remember some real debacles. The Chargers. One time on a Monday night game with Howard Cosell, I was so looking forward to it, you know, the spotlight and so forth. And the Chargers just ridiculed uh, the Bears, of course, in the 85 Super Bowl season. Their only blemish that season was a wasn't a blemish. It was a huge zit loss to the uh, Dolphins in Miami on Monday night. Um, So it, it does. It does worry me, but as a fan, I want a team to shine in front of the nation. So that way I can stick my chest out a little bit and say, hey, you know, my team is better than yours. And so uh, I'm hopeful that, you know, they'll come out and, and do the upset. They have had upsets. Remember the Thanksgiving game in Green Bay? Uh, John Fox won that game. So uh, it isn't unprecedented for the Bears to play well on, on uh, prime time. But, yeah, I don't mind them. But th- there's definitely a, a scare, scary factor. Uh, are they going to embarrass me again? Am I going to go into a deep depression for the next few days? <laughs> yeah, I have the same. I have the same thoughts too uh, on prime time. I mean, normally 
I mean, you want the excitement because like Aldo said, you want to see your team win and do well in front of, and so everyone sees it. Kind of like, I felt like that Steelers game last year, how everyone got to see the potential of Justin Fields. Like you like those kind of moments, but at the same time, normally the, the Bears are on prime time. They're against really good teams, the Packers, and it's just embarrassing because they have not been very good over the last few years. So if the Bears finally get on track, you know, and we, this is the team and, you know, this team's going to be competitive and win games and that's fun. But also I despise primetime uh, as a, as a writer who covers this team. I'm up till like 2 a.m. or 2.30. Sometimes I mean, it's rough. And especially after they lose and it's always, they always play the Packers in primetime, 17 straight years. I mean, come on. It just, you're sitting there and it's just like, oh God, I'm so tired. And they just got their ass kicked again. And it's just like, it, it's frustrating. But if, the Bears can kind of turn the tide and and they come out and they shock everybody, including myself, and they beat the Packers. I'm gonna be staying up till two, two thirty with a damn smile on my face. So I mean, hey. Well, I I think I don't know exactly how many, but I heard that a lot since the the Bears and Packers play in primetime all the time, but it like it it's almost always in Lambo. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 That's always lovely. in Green Bay. Yeah. And They've so, only played three times at, at Soldier Field. Why? Do, do better years. scheduling. What, what's the deal? Yeah. That that that's that seems very uh, uneven or inadequate. Like you're gonna if you're gonna put them in prime time all these years in a row, why is it? Why is there not a more of an even split with it being in Chicago? I'm, there may be a reason. I don't know what it is, but like I I'd, I'd like they to know Lambo. why. What, they love Lambo. Sunday night Lambo. Yeah, great. Cheaper expenses for the crew and stuff like that. You know they Probably they yeah. put <laughs> best western hotel as opposed to having <laughs> them at the conrad hilton in chicago yeah <laughs> and and a, and a point uh, i think i saw in the comments there could be a mud bowl on sunday night how about the grass at soldier field holding up under 15 feet of water i thought for sure we we're gonna get one of those games that Aldo always talks about where there's just guys just drenched in mud and there's mud flopping off their face mask and they're rubbing their <laughs> eyes to get the mud out of there that that bermuda grass held up pretty well now it didn't drain very well. I can say the fact that the fact that this is the first time I've ever seen somebody squeegee a field, but, uh, yeah. but uh, there there wasn't any mud. I thought there was going to be. I thought they were going to tear that field up. I thought there was going to just be holes all over the place, and then oh great, they got to resaw it in like a week. But mm -hmm. it, it held up, and so uh, maybe maybe when we get to October, November, December, now I think they might, they might resaw it one more time throughout the season, but maybe it won't be just a crappy looking field come November. That would be, that would be great. I mean, it's a, been, but uh, it apparently does not drain very well. You'd think that Bermuda grass would drain a little bit better. It, it, it did not. Yeah, that is well, but there was an awful lot of water. I'm not sure really any field would have drained yeah. well uh, given those circumstances. I mean, that was, uh, I think it, the the official uh, count was like two and a quarter inches of water, of rainwater, and that's that's a hell of a lot. Hey, I wanted to ask you guys a question. Uh, Jalen Johnson met with the media, and he wants Club Dub back. And so I was interested in your opinions on that because we had on a, a Bears player two or three seasons ago uh, on one of our shows, and one of our guys was kind of critical about Club Dub and say, why do you hold that and so forth, and – uh, the player, uh, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but he basically said, you know what? It's none of your business. This is for the players only. This is for us. Mm -hmm. it, it really sh it shouldn't have anything to do with the public. 
and from that point of view, it sort of made sense for me. To me, you know, let them celebrate however they want to celebrate. The fact that Matt Nagy was not a good head coach perhaps shouldn't dampen that. What do you guys feel? Does does having club dub uh, rub you wrong? Let's look. I I I understand why public facing it didn't go over very well because it looks good when you're winning. It looked good in 2018, but when you're not a playoff team and you're six and ten or whatever, you're not going to make the playoffs. Then it seems like what are you celebrating? But I think. That's a holistic view of it. I think there's a there's a much more present thinking focus on that where it's it is hard as hell to win in the NFL. From Sunday to Sunday, you're putting in work and you're you're rehabbing your body. You're looking at film. You're hit. You're 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 practicing. You're all this preparation goes into Sunday and losing is like why well, we put all that work in and that's why losing sucks so bad because all of the effort you put in throughout the week. So if you want to dance for three or five ten minutes whatever after a game whatever that's not that's not for me to judge I, I I'm not the one that's going in there watching film I'm not the one that's going in trying to rehab my body just so it can be torn apart again on Sunday so <laughs> if that if, if you if you want to do it that's fine the public once again it doesn't matter do I do I love it not really but it's none of my business it's not it's like I it's, I, I shouldn't have any say in that whatsoever so <laughs> if, if that's how they want to approach it and the, the team, you know, it's building a culture that can build up a successful team, then mm-hmm. go ahead. But on the flip side, if if Matt Eberflew says, that's not the kind of culture I want, and Ryan Pohl says, I don't think that's the culture we want either, then I, you got to listen to the boss. Yep. The, bo- the head coach is the boss. The, the general manager is the boss. And I think it's very clear that Ryan Poles is only going to bring in people that fit his culture that he's building there. So that's that's up to them. My opinion, literally, I know this is a podcast where I'm supposed to give opinions, but I, my opinion carries absolutely no weight on that. Uh, so if that's what they want to do, fine, go for it. Yeah, I mean, I enjoyed Club Dub, obviously, when they were winning. Uh, and like you said, that has a lot to do with it. But again, however, like you said, John, they you know, games are hard to win as the Bears have proved, as we've seen with the Bears, especially ask the Lions, they would love to have club dub. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's hard to win games and, you know, let them celebrate however they want. It's some of our damn business. You know, I think it became, it, obviously in 2018, it became a public thing because it was right. winning and it was fun and they were releasing the videos and, you know, people would be waiting for them and they would, it'd be awesome because, you're really feeling it and you felt the vibe of that team. That was a really fun team, that 2018 squad. So, I mean, maybe they hold a club dub. I don't know. Every time I see a club, hear club dub, though, I think of Matt Nagy. Can we, like, call it something else, maybe? Yeah, but, yeah like, it, needs, it needs a different name. <laughs> it needs a different So they can have their own private thing. I mean, I like seeing, like, the locker room video afterwards and seeing Justin Fields hand out those game balls to Eberflus and Poles. That stuff's nice. Maybe you broadcast that and let them kind of have their – own little celebration club dub whatever we're renaming it let them kind of have that to themselves i mean it, again it's not it's, we can't yeah. judge it's not for us to do that so if they want to go have fun and celebrate a win when it's hard to win then go for it i'd prefer it be not public facing then I, yeah. and i absolutely have absolutely no problem with it but i i i all it's going to do is draw more criticism whenever you put it out there publicly. And so if they, if, if that's the internal thing, if they want to have that mentality where it's no one's damn business, then 
keep it your own business and keep it in house. Then though, don't don't post pictures of it. Don't go live with videos of it. If you if it's no if you don't want people to criticize it, then just keep it in house and do it on your own. Uh, but once again, I, I have no problem if they want to. I saw a comment that act like you've been there by Ravi. With all due respect, Ravi, they haven't been there, so they they can't they, they, they can't you can't act like you've been there if you've never been there. So so if they, so I, I think that they can they they can do that as long as it keeps building a successful culture. It's all about the culture. If it keeps building a good culture, I'm all for it. Um, hey, well, I got one more. If yeah, I can interrupt, I'm sorry. Because um, this was in the news today about uh, I forgot how it was termed by the writers, but that you. The coaches have been preaching to players, and Justin Fields has really embraced it, that you live for that one play. You know, it's a very zen-like – like Phil Jackson used to preach this with that sixth uh, NBA championship Chicago Bulls team, that you live in the moment. You don't think about the game in the fourth quarter when you're in the first quarter. You don't think about anything else. You think about every possession, whether you're on offense and defense. Just stay really, really focused on that. And Eberflus was talking about – that that's what they preach to the whole team. And that one of the things that has impressed him most about Justin Fields is that how much he has embraced that he is totally invested into that one play. I think they called it something snap to snap, something like that. And I love that philosophy. I loved it when Phil Jackson preached it. It, it helped me in my, in my own personal life. You know, when I got a to-do list of 20 different things. Just focus on the one right now. And in sports, that is, is, is imperative that you do that. You know, you forget that last play. You don't think about the next play. You think about your assignment for this play and you execute it to the max. Just was thinking about what your thoughts are on that Eberflus philosophy and the fact that our quarterback has embraced that. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good point that you, you bring that up too about the play to play. And we kind of saw that obviously that's the reason why they won the game. And it makes me think back to like the Matt Nagy era when they would get down by, you know, big at half, at the half, at halftime. And then they'd come back in and just like, again, it was the same game. It wasn't a new half. They weren't, they didn't have that play by play mentality. And it seemed like the game was already over. And then that's why it was kind of shocking in this game to kind of see, I mean, they could have gone up four to nothing. They went up 10, nothing, the 49ers. And to see that the, it felt like a completely different game, you know, watching them and, Justin Fields, Byron Pringle talked about his composure and how he understood that it's not just a two-quarter game, it's a four-quarter game. And he really kind of, he really stepped up in the second half and he just forgets the mistakes, right? He doesn't let it get to him. So, I mean, I, I really uh, appreciated that. And it it's new and different and it kind of feels just like basic, like coaching, something that, again, it just feels like foreign because we haven't had it in a while. So, I mean, I, I like it. Yeah. I think it's a good philosophy to have, like Aldo said, in life to be able yeah. to focus in because it's so easy to be overwhelmed just in mundane life aspects, mm -hmm. let alone when 300 pound people are flying at your legs and at your head and they're trying to they're trying to tear you apart and you're just trying to see who's running the seam route. So it's I think that. Uh, Yes, I love that mentality. I love that there is a support system there by the head coach that is pushing that mentality and that there's a there's a quarterback that is embracing that mentality. I I know that there's I know I don't try to get too meta and too, you know, uh too in-depth and psychological here, but we are talking about human beings and and the the fact that your your mindset and your mentality and your 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 mental 
status does play a role in everything you do. I don't care if you're a professional football player and, and you're, you know, your, your body is your lifeline. Your body is the way that you make a living. It's still controlled by the mind. And so the fact that he, you can have that kind of mentality to build for success, I, I, I love that because they're going to be able to carry that not just on the field, but outside of the field. And I think that having that kind of uh, character and having that kind of mindset, especially from the quarterback, will bleed on to the rest of the team, uh, the rest of the team, to the wide receivers, to the linemen, to everyone, because that is your leader. So the, that mentality is contagious. If your quarterback is kind of loafing around, doesn't care, why should I care? If your quarterback is driven and is able to shake things off and say, next play, next play, we got to make this one happen, then you're thinking, all right, next play, next play, we got to get that one back, pick me up. And so I, I love that mentality. And the fact that it's coming from the coach, most likely coming from the, you know, the, the GM all the way down to the players, love that, love that, love that. Uh, I want one more thing before we get out of here. This is kind of a tongue-in-cheek question. So uh, if the Bears were to beat the Packers, they're 2-0. <laughs> and we're not we're not talking about that yet. Was, <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know what you're thinking of. And no, we're not going there until they win. Uh, if they were to beat the Packers, would that finally shut everybody up? Are the Bears still the worst team in the league if they beat the Packers and the Niners in consecutive weeks? Would that do it? Would that be suitable for all of those on high on the national networks? Would that finally be enough, or would there still be excuses of why the Bears somehow are going to get the number one overall pick, Aldo? Well, I think I think a lot of it is going to depend on the quality of victory. So if you know um, Rodgers has receivers drop passes, you know some of that national narrative is going to continue. Well, you know it's the same thing with the, the Bears have been lucky two weeks in a row, kind of thing. Uh, and not really looking at the nuance that the Bears are a team that takes advantage of mistakes. And so when Eddie Jackson made that interception against the San Francisco 49ers, the Bears took advantage and scored seven points. And so, you know, so a lot depends on the factor. I think that the main question now is, is why anyone is still on that narrative? Have they not learned that this coaching staff is special? that we are seeing a quarterback in Justin Fields who could be special and at the very least is going to be an above-average quarterback in the National Football League. Have they not seen or sensing the different vibe that exists because all the players are buying into that goofy hits philosophy? And so that's the thing. And the national media, they're so far removed. You know, they've got to follow 31 other teams. And in some cases, some of them are following other sports, too. They don't get it. They don't get it, which is why we have Buffon 55 and all these and bearswire.com and, and all these other great things that really inform fans uh, about the reality of what's going on. All right. Well, uh, Alyssa, do you think the national media shuts up after this or not? No, <laughs> not, not even close. I mean, it just, I mean, some people want to stick to their guns, you know, right. They have their hot take and they got to stick to it until old takes exposed outs them. Um, I mean, I feel like all, like Aldo said, they're going to kind of focus in on what the, like if they do beat the Packers, they're going to focus on what the Packers did wrong to lose the game, not necessarily what the bears did to win it. So, I mean, I don't think I, I it, it's still early too, you know, maybe eventually if, Hey, this, if this is a good, a really good team, you know, it might take a little bit for them to kind of change everyone's minds. But I, I feel like they already have like excuses ready. They're going to be like pointing to 
what the Packers did to lose it instead of what the Bears did to win it. So no, I don't think they changed their mind. Please, please prove me wrong, please. <laughs> All right, let's start doing some parting shots. You may notice I was a bit preoccupied here. A spider the size of my hand just walked oh over my, my foot. And I'm oh in my, my God. <laughs> and I'm in I'm in my bare feet, and this spider just walked right over. I'm telling you, this thing was about that. It was might have been a tarantula. So oh it walked. <laughs> I was You're like, oh, around, that's uh, that's what, that's no what good. What part of Pennsylvania are you in? <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. Well, let's let's just hope that that that, that goes away sometime soon. Uh, anyway, oh, let's by the way, there was some video on social media of like thousands of alligators uh, came onto the shore uh, uh, in Brazil, and it was the scariest thing I. I've ever seen it scarier than any hollywood movie i mean thousands of alligators so when you get a chance if you like real life spooky things find that on social media yeah. i'm in florida the land of the alligators so. I say, <laughs> let's always just she'll just laugh at that she's like is that all <laughs> it's an alligator let's go, around, let's go around the horn here although what's going on you got we have like 25 million shows on the barroom network what's going on <laughs> well, uh, tomorrow we've got the Bear Debate, uh, which is going to be a, a great show. We've got Daniel Goodwin from the Three Kings uh, of the Midway podcast going up against our very own Laro Golden, who most people know him for his Bulls coverage here at the bar room. But he's been on a couple of our Bears show, and he has a really, really impressed people with his football knowledge. So the two of them are going to debate. Uh, and then tomorrow afternoon, uh, we've got Crosstown Crosstalk. Vinny Parisi is going to give us an update on what's happening with the Cubs and Sox. And Vinny, who is a diehard Chicago White Sox fan, actually last week said some nice things about the Cubs. So if you're a Cubs fan, uh, tune in. Maybe it'll be a special two weeks in a row. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> Alyssa, you probably put you probably wrote like 25 articles today. But what do you got? What do you got going on? <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to continue my uh, pregame coverage for Bears Packers over at Bears Wire. have a lot of stuff. I haven't made my game pick yet. We always release that on Friday. So, I mean, listening to Zach, it really, it's kind of, it's helping me a little bit. I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm going to pick the Bears to win, but, you know, he has me feeling a little bit more encouraged in this game. So, you can check all of my pregame stuff uh, over at bearswire.com. You know what happens when we get our hopes up, though, Alyssa. It, yeah, I'm sure that's I'm, why I'm I'm, I'm, I'm I'm trying not to let I'm trying not to feel again, but I'm you. I'm fully ready to get hurt again. So we'll see <laughs> how this goes. And uh, by the way, uh, Tony Brown in the uh, in the uh, in the comment section, it was not a daddy long legs. I know what a daddy long legs. That is not what went over. That size either. It was not. That was. This thing had fur, so I'm pretty sure. Oh my god! So, I hate spiders. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go find that on on the, after we after we sign off here. But yeah, I'd get a weapon if I were you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> blowtorch sure, or something. <laughs> I got a I got a flamethrower in here. Uh, but uh, make sure after the Bears Packer game, win, lose, or draw, that you uh, tune in to Bear Football, the post game show here on the Barroom Network. Aldo, myself, and Tyler Gaines Ellis, and Danny Schimmen, who has been an addition this year. Aldo's kind of more behind the scenes. He's the guy pulling the levers there this year. Uh, but uh, that just raw emotion after the Bears game, win or lose, I can guarantee you it will be high energy. So make sure you tune into Bear Football on all of our channels. We go live right after the clock hits triple zero. That's Bear Football right here on the Barroom Network. But that will do it for this edition of Buffone 55. Thank you so much for everyone who was listening to the podcast version, viewing the live version here, or if you're watching the video version later. Can't believe you guys are still watching this show six years later. We truly appreciate 
each and every one of you. So until next time, for Alyssa Barbieri and Aldo Gandia, I'm John Buffone. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.